As we're talking right now, here's where things stand. Since last night's Super Tuesday results came in. Bloomberg is out. He's endorsed Joe Biden. Sanders says he will stay and fight but may face some very steep delegate climb once all the California votes are in. Former governor, one-time presidential contender Steve Bullock, will run for Montana Senate. Elizabeth Warren, TBD, Tulsi Gabbard, still in it, apparently. I've been thinking a lot about where I was four years ago, which was at Trump's Mar-a-Lago Super Tuesday event in Palm Beach, Florida. He had a good night took questions from reporters in the crowd after. It seems like ages ago to me. I asked him then about a problem that remains relevant today, how he would deal with Republicans who criticized him. And in that moment, it was Speaker Paul Ryan in response to Trump pretending not to know who David Duke was. Trump's argument that people who wronged him would pay a big price would be the prologue to his entire relationship with establishment Republicans since then. Only Justin Amash, a congressman who has since left the Republican Party, and Republicans' 2012 nominee Mitt Romney, now senator from Utah, would offer much in the way of distance and resistance to the worst of Trump from their side of the aisle. Others who have done so, they've faded quickly from prominence, relevance, almost always lose their jobs in professional politics. And I'm thinking about this not out of nostalgia, so much as how far we've come since then. Trump's full takeover of the Republican Party, but also Democrats' responses to this new face of power in Washington. Some pretending not to see it, some seeing it with eyes wide open. In politics, as in many conflicts, we're often stuck fighting the last war, the lessons of which are seldom applicable to the current moment. My argument to you Last cycle thinking will not win in 2020, and Democrats have a chance still to avoid it. By the way, speaking of Romney, it was in many ways Obama's route of his campaign in 2012 that set us up for Trump's takeover. Republicans decided to get behind everything they had accused Obama of being, a demagogue, a fascist, a celebrity-minded fabulist, because they wanted to win. Democrats, meanwhile, took the losing lesson from 2012, that demographics would cover the gap for them of a less than ideal candidate. There's been much said about how Trump overperformed expectations in 2016, but I don't think we fully understood how much Clinton had underperformed until last night. And we've already known a lot about how she underperformed. The groundswell that we saw in early 2017, the the pussy hats, the weekly marches in opposition to Trump's radical agenda, that could have been the 2016 nominee's energy. I'll put it another way. It's not just that Trump is unpopular, historically so, and has been since the beginning of his presidency. It's also that the Democratic nominee in 2016 squandered a lot of support, support that could have existed against any Republican not just Trump. And this isn't to pile on Hillary Clinton, but it wasn't until last night that I fully understood how poorly she did. This gives me hope, actually. Every candidate that remains in this race has argued that he or she can drive turnout in 2020. But the baseline for where that turnout is being driven from isn't 2016, because Clinton clearly depressed turnout in that cycle. And that sucks for how we got to here but it bodes well for the future. There's likely far less of a gap to make up against Trump in this cycle. One perfect example can be found in Virginia. On Super Tuesday, Democrats in that increasingly blue state 
turned out in greater numbers than 2008 or 2016. Biden outperformed Clinton and Sanders combined from the last cycle. Another facet that gives me a great deal of hope. Biden has managed so far to earn a much wider swath of the Democratic electorate, while Sanders diminishing when faced with a different challenger. That doesn't give me hope because I want to see Sanders do poorly, but Sanders has claimed to be able to bring more people in, especially young people. But we're seeing in many places that revolution hasn't borne out in actual votes. Biden, on the other hand, has the clearest callback to the Obama coalition. And that, that, that type of politics isn't the most exciting to me personally. I do understand its appeal to people more directly impacted by the violence of the Trump administration. And many of those people, aware that rolling back Trump's rollback of Obama's agenda is yeoman's work, and wary of any blowback they might get by trying to bite off more than that, they are picking Biden to lift the shovel. And they're actually coming out and voting. There are some specific areas where I'm not filled with too much hope. Biden may love the Senate too much to see how flawed it has become. He still believes he can work with Mitch McConnell. He still believes the filibuster serves Democrats' interests. I don't agree with either of those. And those are big flaws to get over. But while I'm getting over that, Sanders supporters are going to need to come to terms with the knowledge that a sizable fraction of their support back in 2016 was as the Clinton alternative, and not anything else. Faced with a different challenger, Sanders' block is shrinking. Many of us suspected this might be the case, but again, I'm arguing that's only becoming provably apparent after the Super Tuesday results. That doesn't mean that Sanders' policies aren't supported by many Democrats. But once a better accounting of the national electorate with a different candidate gives us a better sense of what Democrats are capable of, voters and party leaders may choose, until then, what they believe to be a safer route. So these two points. One, Clinton depressed turnout in 2016, more than we initially knew. And two, that Sanders has yet to materialize the coalition he's been promising for five years, leaves us with Dems in 2020 looking to correct the 2016 problem as if it were a sieve. How to prevent more from leaking out versus how to get more sluiced in. More has come in, by the way. The breakdowns for open primary states versus closed, and whether it's just Democrats voting for Democratic nominee or not, that isn't clear yet. But what we know very clearly is that the Republican Party has the smallest self-identified percentage of the American population in a long time. The support it has bled in the Trump era has pooled into independents and in some places even into Democrats. The coalition to stop Trump is bigger than just the Democratic Party. But Democrats are understandably focused on what would keep the most of their voters, identified Dems, happy or at least not so unhappy as to stay home in November. Many of them did stay home four years ago, and that's why we're here. And by the way, that's why many of these Democrats are choosing the lifelong Democrat, Joe Biden, versus people who have had other party identifications for some or all of their careers. And that's, by the way, every other major candidate in the race at this point. It's further interesting to me that Sanders is out Wednesday with an Obama ad and said the former president is not his best friend but wanted to show that they could work together, even after his argument that he's running against the D.C. and Democratic establishment. People are arguing that Dems would tack to the middle in the general election, but faced with moderates coalescing around Joe Biden, Sanders has put his arms around Obama while still in the primary, and we'll see if that works out for him. On the subject of ads, though, here's another thing that gives me hope. 
and we may have to spend a lot of time thanking Elizabeth Warren for all she did to torpedo him. Bloomberg was not able to buy his way into more than 101 days of this primary race. Biden's support, including in many places where he never traveled, never opened a field office, never put an ad on the air, is an incredible feat. The system we're in is not going to change overnight. But here are some changes that could happen right away if Democrats decided they wanted it. It's clear to me, at least, and I'm not a professional Democrat, but it's clear to me that Democrats are very poorly served by national political media hosting debates and Iowa and New Hampshire going first. It makes zero sense to me not to reevaluate those, even with the immense inertia factored in. The Iowa winner, Pete Buttigieg, and the New Hampshire winner, Amy Klobuchar, were both out before Super Tuesday supporting Joe Biden. And Sanders was calling on Biden to have an hour-long debate on just one topic, like health care, in his remarks Wednesday. Can anyone argue that wouldn't be better civics? I don't care if it would be worse television. For what it's worth, Republicans are also poorly served by TV networks running their debates, and for Lily White states going first, but their party leaders seem to mind a lot less for reasons you can probably guess. Here's one big caveat. If Biden does lose to Trump, you can expect some truly terrible course correction on behalf of national Democrats after 2021. But my entire argument here is that Clinton did so poorly in 2016, and Trump is so unpopular now, that any Democrat is going to have a much easier time later this year. Apparently, for a lot of Democrats, we have to get rid of Trump first before the party feels confident to be bolder. And in that sense, Republicans got something maybe only a few of them anticipated in their bargain with Trump. Enough rollback to keep a new president busy for a long time. That will keep the Overton window right of center for longer. But speaking as an old millennial, I don't think we can fully appreciate how much boomers and pre-boomers have taken from this country until we realize that the most bipartisan thing in American politics is that people born in the 1940s are still holding power. And they are taking it first and foremost from their kids and their grandkids. Do I think that Biden or Sanders or Warren are some of the good olds? Sure. Does that mean I support their cohort's insane monopoly on power in American politics? Hell no. Okay, but back to the real world. Biden has emerged from Super Tuesday energized with momentum. And also the knowledge that he didn't get a party coronation as Hillary Clinton was criticized for ad nauseum in 2016. That alone deflates one of the biggest criticisms Trump used to depress turnout in the last election, that the system is rigged. Biden may not be your candidate, but the support he earned this week cannot be dismissed that way. Not that we won't see Republicans try. You know, as a professional, I try very hard not to fall in love with politicians, and so far, I've been successful. There's still grief we all feel when our preferred options are stifled for reasons that suck, or even for totally legitimate reasons of democracy and fair voting. But here's what gives me hope. Biden has proved a big argument many of us suspected but none could definitively argue before this week. And to my eye, that seems to narrow the spread Democrats are up against this fall. I hope that gives you some relief, too.